Good evening. A worldwide decline in COVID cases as the new vaccines come online. Governor Cuomo feels a void as critics blast his role in nursing home COVID spread. And the Senate votes to acquit as some as some Republicans opt out of Trump land. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, February 15th, 2021. As the World Trade Organization's incoming chief, Ngozi Okonjo-Iweala, warned against vaccine nationalism, slowing progress and ending the COVID-19 pandemic, the World Body's outgoing director, Dr. Tedros Adnan, pronounced, announced a, five, a five-week period of worldwide declines in COVID-19 infections. The number of reported cases of COVID-19 globally has now declined for the fifth consecutive week. Last week saw the lowest number of reported weekly cases since October. So far this year, the number of weekly reported cases has fallen by almost half, from more than 5 million cases in the week of January 4 to 2.6 million cases in the week starting February 8, just five weeks. This shows that simple public health measures work, even in the presence of variants. What matters now is how we respond to this trend. The fire is not out, but we have reduced its size. If we stop fighting it on any front, it will come roaring back. Every day with fewer infections means lives saved, suffering prevented, and the burden on health systems eased just a little bit. And while celebrating the good news, Dr. Adnam warned against any let up in social distancing and other measures. He did suggest a new kind of man-made plague. He calls it an infodemic of false information about the virus. We were not only fighting a pandemic, we were fighting an infodemic. In the past year, we have seen the real harm that can be caused when people are overwhelmed by information, misinformation, and disinformation. The answer is not just to fight misinformation and delete false or misleading statements. It is to listen to the real concerns and questions people have and to answer those questions with good information. Having the right information is essential in every outbreak situation. Dr. Tedros Adnan of the World Health Organization. The organization also announced a green light for the AstraZeneca vaccines made in India and South Korea. It's only the second emergency authorization the UN Health Agency has issued after authorizing the Pfizer vaccine in December. The coronavirus pandemic has infected about 109 million people worldwide and killed at least 2.4 million. But many of the world's countries have not yet started vaccination programs, and even rich nations are facing shortages of vaccine doses as manufacturers struggle to ramp up production. In New York State, the first epicenter of the disease in the United States last year, Governor Andrew Cuomo has been coming under fire for failing to turn over the statistics of cases of COVID in nursing homes. 
About 34% of all COVID deaths occurred in New York State occurred in nursing homes. Cuomo's administration confirmed Thursday that thousands more residents died of COVID-19 than the state's official tallies had previously acknowledged. The revelation came after months of stonewalling by the state. The true numbers showed that at least 12,743 long-term care patients Residents died of the virus as of January 19th, far greater than the official tally of 8,505 on that day and one of the highest in the nation. Attorney General Letitia James has charged the nursing home death count could be off by about 50 percent because New York is one of the only states to count just those who died on facility grounds, not those who later died in the hospital. Last April, the governor put the responsibility in the lap of nursing home operators who were ordered to take patients from hospitals. James' report said those admissions may have contributed to increased risk of nursing home resident infection and subsequent fatalities. The state does not run the nursing home. It is run by the, a private corporation. The ACME Corporation said you should bring your mother to the ACME Corporation. It's the best nursing home in the world. And they get paid for that service. The state regulates the nursing home. But it's a private corporation, sometimes a not-for-profit, but basically same thing, that gets paid for their service. And they're supposed to provide that service. Uh, That's what they do. They take care of senior people, people with illnesses, etc. That's what they get paid to do. We set a regulatory framework for them to do it. If they can't do it, They should say, I can't do it. I can't take care of your mother. Don't pay me. I can't take care of your mother. I don't have the space. I don't have the staff. I can't take care of your mother. And then we'll help you find another facility for your mother. Because there are a lot of beds in nursing homes. So we could find another nursing home for you. But they have to do the job they're getting paid to do. Uh, And if they're not doing the job they're getting paid to do and they're violating state regulations, then that's a different issue. Then they should lose their license. That's how this relationship works. The state is not going to come in and do their job for them. That would be a state-run facility. That's uh, a prison. That's, you know, uh, a different situation where we run the facility. We don't run these facilities. Saying that these nursing homes, that as you said are private, have to take back these COVID patients. So that's a state mandate. How do you reconcile well, it's, those? It's two? their patient. It's their patient, and their patient that they're getting paid to take care of now contracts the COVID virus. Okay, now you have to take care of that patient who you're getting paid to take care of with the COVID virus. And what if they can't? Are they? Then if you be, can't, be with well, yeah, if you can't, if you're saying I can't take care of my patients, then fine. Then tell us you can't take care of the patients and we'll make other uh, we'll make other accommodations. What's the penalty for that if they can't? Comply? Well, if you can't run your business, you can't run your business. Penalty is your own. It's, you know, you're out of business. But if people are dying because, again, the, the facility, it seems like a revolving door. If you are not providing adequate care for your patients, then you're violating your license. What about providing hotel rooms? They put, the city has put... Yeah, look, if they say any nursing home that calls up and says, I can't do this, we'll make other accommodations. Governor, we'll get there. We'll get there. Go ahead. Do you have a timeline on when this contact tracing will be fully operational? And any update on the timeline for 40,000 tests and when you'll need that? 
And that was Governor Cuomo last April when he was announcing his policy of making hospital patients, uh, of forcing basically the uh, nursing homes to accept hospital patients who were being released by the state to those nursing home operators. In his news conference today, Cuomo took fault for allowing an information void, nothing else, where he said false narratives and conspiracy theories took hold. We created the void. Uh, I agree to that. Uh, or, and or, we didn't constantly fight back every rumor, every piece of disinformation, which in this environment is a full-time job. And that's what I want to do today to the people who lost a loved one. All these theories, March 25th memo did this. No, it didn't. Well, the state numbers were wrong. No, they weren't. Well, that's how COVID got into a nursing home. No, it isn't. 613 nursing homes, 365 people went back. 98% of them have COVID already. Well, we made the nursing homes take these people. No, we didn't. The nursing home had to say that by law that they were in a position to deal with it. So I want people to have the facts because uh, these were the best professionals doing the best they could. And by the way, Marsha, I want people to have the facts so they have an understanding and peace with the situation. People still die in nursing homes. Governor Andrew Cuomo today asked if he thought there should be an investigation of his administration's response. Cuomo replied, there's nothing to investigate. And after the United States Senate acquitted former President Donald Trump over the weekend of one count of insurrection by a vote of 5743, a majority but 10 short of the two thirds necessary to convict. Although denuded of his Twitter and Facebook accounts, Trump responded through a surrogate at a press conference Saturday after the vote where he promised his followers he's going to be back. No president has ever gone through anything like it, and it continues because our opponents cannot forget the almost 75 million people, the highest number ever for a sitting president who voted with us just a few short months ago. Our historic, patriotic, and beautiful movement to make America great again has only just begun. In the months ahead, I have much to share with you, and I look forward to continuing our incredible journey together to achieve American greatness for all of our people. There has never been anything like it. We have so much work ahead of us, and soon we will emerge with a vision for a bright, radiant, and limitless American future. But Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was having none of it, admitting Trump had done bad, although McConnell had voted to quit only minutes before because he says Trump is no longer in office. A technicality. January 6th was a disgrace. American citizens attacked their own government. They used terrorism to try to stop a specific piece of domestic business they did not like. Fellow Americans beat and bloodied our own police. They stormed the Senate floor. They tried to hunt down the Speaker of the House. They built a gallows and chanted about murdering the Vice President. They did this because they'd been fed 
wild falsehoods by the most powerful man on earth. Because he was angry, he lost an election. Former President Trump's actions preceded the riot for a disgraceful, disgraceful dereliction of duty. Democratic lawmakers, some of whom signed a statement last week urging the legislature to strip the governor of his extraordinary emergency powers granted in the pandemic, tweeted their anger at the governor's version of events. Various legislators accused the governor of prevaricating over notification of the Senate and Assembly. The governor said he was prioritizing a request for information from the Trump administration, and he said threats by some Democrats to strip his emergency powers for dealing with COVID were extortion. That is a crime. You can't say, I'm a former assistant district attorney, you can't use a subpoena or the threat of an investigation to leverage a person. Uh, That's a crime. It's called abusive process. It's called extortion. Uh, So the question before was, is that raw politics? No, it's not raw politics. That's criminal. Uh, And there are... I don't know the facts. I wasn't in the room. But uh, in the room, you have lawyers. You have former prosecutors who are in that room. Uh, They know it's illegal. But no, I didn't talk to uh, the leaders about it. Governor Andrew Cuomo today asked if he thought there should be an investigation of his administration's response. Cuomo replied, there's nothing to investigate. And so coming back to national news and after the United States Senate acquitted former President Donald Trump of one count of insurrection by a vote of 57 to 43, a majority, but 10 short of the two thirds necessary to convict. Although denuded of his Twitter and Facebook accounts, President Trump, former President Trump, responded through a surrogate at a press conference Saturday after the vote where he promised his followers he's going to be back. It is not the criminal justice system where individual accountability is the paramount goal. Indeed, Justice Story specifically reminded that while former officials were not eligible for impeachment or conviction, they were, and this is extremely important, still liable to be tried and punished in the ordinary tribunals of justice. Put another way, in the language of today, President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office as an ordinary citizen, unless the statute of limitations is run, still liable for everything he did while he was in office. Didn't get away with anything yet. Yes. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation, and former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. And that's Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader. Meanwhile, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the actions of the pro-Trump mob at the Capitol can't ever be forgotten. That the president of the Senate, Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence, was the chant, and they just dismissed that. Why? Because maybe they can't get another job. What is so important about any one of us? 
What is so important about the political survival of any one of us that is more important than our Constitution that we take an oath to protect and defend? But why I came over was because I listened to Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, who when this distinguished group of House managers were gathered on January 15th to deliver the articles of impeachment, could not, we're told, it could not be received because Mitch McConnell had shut down the Senate and was going to keep it shut down until right until the inauguration. So for him to get up there and make this indictment against the president and then say, but I can't, I can't uh, vote for it because it's after the fact, the fact that he established. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She said today Congress will establish an independent September 11th style commission to look into the deadly insurrection that took place in the United States Capitol. And WBAI will surely be there to cover that commission when it is held. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. The New York City subway system is moving closer to returning to 24-hour service. The MTA announced that starting Monday, February 22nd, overnight subway closures will be reduced to two hours from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. instead of 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Since last spring, the system has been closed for four hours every night so crews can come in and disinfect it one of the many drastic moves taken to fight the coronavirus pandemic. The chair and CEO of the Metropolitan Transportation Agency is Patrick Foy. As we all know, the subways have been closed overnight from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. since May 6th. But under this plan's change, the subways will stay open until 2 a.m. and reopen at 4 a.m. At the same time, this two-hour service suspension will allow us to continue our enhanced disinfecting regime which has led the subways to be the cleanest they've ever been. And as Patrick Foy, interim president of New York City Transit, Sarah Feinberg, says cleaning services will continue. We clean our system 24 hours a day. We clean and disinfect stations twice each day. We clean and disinfect subway cars multiple times each day. That will continue. When we are closed from 1 to 5, we are able to clean much more efficiently without customers in the system. That window of cleaning will now go from 1 to 5 to 2 to 4, We are confident that we can maintain the cleaning and disinfecting that we have been able to do thus far. The CDC, New York State Department of Health, FTA, and EPA all continue to advise that we should continue with our all-of-the-above approach to cleaning, and we will do so. Again, public confidence is paramount. Sarah Feinberg, and with reports of violent attacks against homeless people and riders in the subway increasing in the past week, calls for safety are growing. Again, MTA's FOI. Yesterday, my colleague Sarah Feinberg, New York City Transit Interim President, and I sent a letter to Mayor de Blasio and Police Commissioner Shea requesting that an additional 1,000 NYPD officers be assigned to the Transit Bureau of the NYPD to patrol subways and buses. As you remember, the MTA began calling for additional police officers in the system well over a year ago. And it was the right call then, and it remains the right call now. Make no mistake, however, we also need more mental health resources from the city of New York dedicated to address the growing crisis facing the city so that those suffering have access to the critical services they need and deserve. 
And with police accountability groups criticizing the governor's approach to police reforms, which leaves cop discipline in the hands of the commissioners and chiefs, Cuomo said the responsibility still rests with the localities. We've had situations in Rochester where a nine-year-old girl was pepper sprayed. You have situations in Buffalo where they knocked a protester to the ground. He hit his head. He has ongoing damage. Uh, it was on videotape. It was brutal. You have public safety issues nationwide, George Floyd. Uh, all I'm saying to New York City is you figure it out. You figure it out. You have community tension where they don't trust the police. You have NYPD tension where they feel they can't do their job. That's not going to work until you reconcile that relationship. Uh, and it has to be reconciled, Steve. It doesn't happen on its own. You're going to have to have a collaborative that does that. Are many localities talking about taking public safety and breaking it down and saying, well, if you have mental health issues, then deal with it as a mental health issue. And uh, rather than just a police, you know, an answer to every situation may not be a police officer, maybe a mental health professional. Uh, when uh, the MTA asks for a 1,000 police, that's all there is to ask for now. If they come up with a new public safety plan and they say, look, we're going to have mental health experts and they're going to deploy to mental health related complaints, fine. Then that sounds right and that sounds sound. And if they come up with a different public safety strategy, then fine. Fit that to the subway station. But right now, all you have are police. And as Governor Cuomo, in one of the cases that the governor mentioned, criminal charges were dropped last week against two police officers seen on a video last spring shoving a 75-year-old Black Lives Matter protester to the ground in Buffalo, New York. A grand jury declined to indict Buffalo officers Robert McCabe and Aaron Torgalski on felony assault charges. Erie County District Attorney John Flynn said ending a matter that drew national attention at the height of the protests over the killing of George Floyd. John Evans, president of the Buffalo Police Benevolent Association, told the Buffalo News, obviously we are ecstatic with their decision. These officers have been put through hell, and I look forward to seeing them back on the job. Addressing criticism that the slow played, that he slow played or sandbagged the case, Flynn said prosecutors made a thorough presentation to the grand jury, but citing secrecy rules, said he couldn't discuss what witnesses were called or what evidence was presented. The grand jury heard the case on a delayed basis because of coronavirus-related course closures, he said. Flynn said throughout the investigation, video of the shove remained the primary evidence. Flynn said this was not the JFK assassination. This was not that complex of a case. The video that was taken speaks for itself. A news crew covering protests in downtown Buffalo last June over Floyd's death in Minneapolis captured video of the officers shoving Gugino to the ground in front of City Hall as crowd control officers in riot gear cleared demonstrators from the area for an 8 p.m. curfew. Gugino pushed backwards, started bleeding after hitting his uh, head on the pavement and spent about a month in the hospital with a fractured skull and brain injury. McCabe and Torgalski were suspended without pay and arrested within days. They pleaded not guilty and were released without bail pending further developments. Thursday, uh, at the news conference Thursday, 
He, Flynn said the national attention on the case had no influence on his decision to charge the officers right away. All I need is probable cause for an arrest. The Buffalo News reported that the Buffalo Police Department will begin an internal affairs investigation, a development that had been on hold because of the criminal case. In the wake of the police officer's suspension, nearly 60 other members of the department's crowd control unit said they would no longer serve in the unit, effectively shutting it down. And finally, WBAI's Jillian Jonah has this piece about the plight of taxi drivers in New York City and what they face in a new economic environment. On Wednesday, the New York Taxi Workers Alliance and drivers shut down the Brooklyn Bridge, the latest in a series of actions and rallies demanding relief and restructuring of taxi medallion debt. This debt is a critical issue for TLC licensed drivers, as it's alleged Federal, state, and particularly local officials colluded with banks to artificially inflate medallion values. These predatory lending practices are currently under investigation by the New York State Attorney General's Office. Mayor de Blasio had this to say. Right to say there were mistakes made or choices made that weren't good choices, but I'd remind you the regulation of the industry and the lending practices and the brokers came from the federal government, the state government, not the city. Um, when we came in uh, and saw what was happening uh, with the medallions and with the lives of taxi drivers, we stopped the medallion sales after my first year. Um, and it's been a very, very painful episode. It really has been. I feel so bad for so many families that you know, just saw their life's work destroyed. We've tried to find ways to help drivers, but we need something bigger that is not something the city can do directly. But with stimulus funding, I think there's a real chance to do something. And I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing now in the Senate and the House. If we can get you know, the kind of stimulus support we deserve, I think it opens the door to coming up with a solution uh, to help taxi drivers and their families who have suffered so much. So that's, to me, the gateway to getting something done. And, you know, I'll speak more to a specific approach, but we need to see if we actually are going to get that stimulus support we deserve. Debt, unregulated competition, and COVID have exacerbated dire circumstances for New York's taxi drivers. At one point last year, ridership declined by 92%, according to the TLC. A Taxi Workers Alliance post-COVID survey reported 83% of drivers were food insecure. That follows a rash of taxi driver suicides between November 2017 and November 2018. For WBAI Radio, I'm Jillian Jonas. And that's some of the news for Monday, February 15, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City for the WBAI News, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>